Amen. Praise be to God for such wonderful hymns of praise that we have uh, in this life and up to our ages. We have so many songs created by musicians in the past, and we have about roughly 600 hymns in our hymnal. Isn't it wonderful to sing hymns every Sabbath morning in church and during the week as well? How many of you sing hymns at your houses, at home, during the week? Amen. Praise God for that. Um, for those of you who, who do not know me, uh, I'll just briefly explain um, a little about myself. Six years ago, we came with my wife from Argentina. Uh, we st um, I grew up here in the States. I was born in Puerto Rico. My dad is a retired pastor. And I went to Argentina to study high school in a boarding school. And that's where I met my lovely sweetheart that later became my wife after college. And I studied psychology, two degrees in psychology, which I, I'm not using now, unfortunately, but it was a good experience. My heart was for music, so I ended up finishing a music degree there. And what made us move back to the States was I wanted to keep pursuing uh, education in music. So piano is my passion, obviously, and I searched for programs and masters of piano performance, and I ended up in UTC, uh, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And about four years ago, or five already, time flies quickly, I graduated with a master's. And ever since then, I've been working in music, teaching piano, playing piano for different churches. And it's just a blessing how God uh, pushes you to do what you love at the same time of seeing the need that there is out there, especially in the church, in the churches regarding sacred music. So today I could not speak of anything else than music and how we can worship God in the church. I know last year uh, we had a seminar by Christian Berdahl, so obviously some of you have this topic pretty fresh. I'm going to put on a different twist to it. Since I study psychology, I need to introduce some, some things that I believe are really important concerning psychology and music and the mind. And also from a musician standpoint, how we can analyze music and what we can discover on the use of music, how we perform and use it, and what types of music can be better for the mind than others. And obviously, uh, with the theological background that my parents left me, even though I didn't study theology, we have to consider the Word of God first and foremost. So I really liked uh, the scripture reading this morning by 10-year-old Matthias. Thank you, Dan Drexler, also for the children's story. I believe sometimes the beaver slaps on the water might apply to, to um, God um, giving us a stern rebuke, like we could mention a beaver slap probably in the face from time to time. Hey, wake us up. I think that, that could apply easily as we look into the subject. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Before we begin, actually, let's have another word of prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much. We cannot study the Bible without first praying to you and asking for your presence and the Holy Spirit to guide our minds and hearts. Please let that be the case this morning once more and help us to examine ourselves and to bring our faults to you and allow you to mold us and perfect us. In your name we pray, amen. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you poorly, moderately, or richly. In all wisdom, once we allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly, then we can in all wisdom teach and admonish one another 
with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice what we can do when we teach and admonish others. We can do it by means of music, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, and I'm sorry if that color cannot allow us to read it well, but singing with grace in our hearts, in your hearts, unto God. We should always sing gracefully with thanks and love for God. Oh, I need to turn this on. Okay, so as a sort of icebreaker into this topic, I want to present just a few things that I've heard from, unfortunately, other SDA pastors and music leaders in this topic. And what I find really um, disturbing, in a sense, and offensive to our church and to the knowledge that we have as Seventh-day Adventists regarding uh, the music in the church and the theology, these are some of the statements that we often encounter. Not only in our church, other denominations have the same struggle. All that matters is Christ. The rest is irrelevant. Attitudes are more important than doctrines. And the pastor that wrote this one time was the day of the 500th year of the Great Reformation. And I thought to myself, are you kidding, really? Someone uh, answered just putting a picture of Martin Luther with the sola scriptura. So obviously attitudes are important, but I don't think we should separate them. The Bible does not teach that we should separate them. They are one. And we should love God, love our neighbors, but uphold to the law of God. Others say, stop protesting. Let's unite in one spirit and worship together. Well, first off, I'm not sure who's the one protesting here. If it's them concerning us or if it's us concerning um, the wrongs that we see in society. Other fallacious human reasoning we can find is and hear about, our church is the only denomination that continues debating the issue of Christian music and for decades. It's time to simply move forward and unite in spirit and truth. This is a leader in an Adventist university here in the States. That's the music leader of the department. I won't say where it is. If someone is interested, I, I don't want to intend the pulpit to be a means of directing the minds to other people. We just want to analyze and to see what the Word of God says. First of all, our church is the only denomination. That is not true. I'm a pianist at two Sunday churches, a Methodist and Presbyterian, and I can assure you they are going through the same struggles as we are regarding music. Others, God loves variety. He is an extremely creative God, so let's just put aside our own personal tastes and preferred music styles. Have you all heard this one before? That's very common. Um, one of the Sunday churches, they have two services, a traditional and a contemporary, and sometimes they add a blended worship, especially when there are baptisms. And the preacher once said, well, let's put aside our ideas and he mentioned especially of music. We might not like the choir, the traditional choir. We might not like the praise music of the contemporary bands, but we should put our styles aside and worship God together. That's what he calls us for. Some use Psalm 150 as a pretext to use any instrument in any manner in the house of the Lord. We should study this deeply because we can find in context uh, different truths than what they portray. The extreme contrast of this is the Church of God. You know, the Church of God has its headquarters here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Lee University, which is a highly trained musical university, probably one of the best in the Southeast when it comes to bachelor's degrees in music, 
They worship without any instruments on Sunday mornings. Did you all know that? They analyze, they hold on to the New Testament, and since the New Testament does not provide a direct uh, mention of instruments in the church, they say the best is not to use any instruments. So they sing a cappella. Even though they're highly trained musicians and instrumentalists, and they use that away from the church. Last, church attendance has risen. The music style we prefer to use is a style that a typical young person listens to during the week. This is problematic because obviously I have friends in church that I hear sometimes what they're listening to during the week and then Sabbath arrives and obviously the music that they listen to in Sabbath does not match to what they usually listen to the week. So they find it boring. And unless the church leaders provide the contemporary pop rock music for them that they listen to during the week, then they don't like to come to church. Have you all found that real in your personal lives with friends? Or is it just me? All right, I'm glad it's not just me. Um, all right, so let's look at some stories from a biblical point of view. First, the temptation and the fall. I'm going to mention four. The last one regarding Elijah is gonna be brief and only at the very end of this message. The temptation and fall. This is regarding the serpent, Satan, the tempter. As if he were able to discern the workings of her mind, he addressed her. Yeah, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The serpent continued, in a musical voice, with subtle praise of her surpassing loveliness, and the words were not displeasing. Sometimes we just prefer listening to music that makes us feel good, and we don't want to consider the unpleasant truths sometimes. In the judgment, men will not be condemned because they conscientiously believed the lie, but because they did not believe the truth, because they neglected the opportunity of learning what the truth is. This is found in Patriarchs and Prophets, pages 54 and 55, by the way. Another story that, the, all of these stories are so captivating. If you have time uh, this afternoon or during the week, I encourage you to just go to Patriarchs and Prophets, um, Prophets and Kings, and all of these books of the conflict of the ages are astounding. I, I um, asked my parents to purchase me the series, which are five books, when I was a high schooler, when I was a teenager, and my dad was surprised and really happy, and I read most of those books when I was 15, 16, 17, and I can tell you, if youth were to read those books today, they would not encounter, and they would not get into so many problems that we, we see today. Um, idolatry at Sinai. But with the cloud of the presence still before them, they turned their backs to God. Can you believe that? With the cloud, God was right there above Sinai. You could see the presence, the power of God, and they turned back their hearts to the idolatry of Egypt. Here we have, in our modern day world, we have the truth. We can find it if we open our eyes and, and look for it. But how many times do we just simply turn our backs and try to imitate what others do. Aaron feared for his own safety, and instead of nobly standing up for the honor of God, he yielded to the demands of the multitude. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. Talk about commitment. There are many sincere people that, that worship with music that we might not like or agree with, but we can't doubt their sincerity and their commitment to get up early, to work hard, and to praise God, whether it's on a different day or with different types of music. 
Uh, that's something that we could all learn from. God calls each one, no matter of the church denomination we're in, to learn the truth, to seek him first. And many will be saved that are not necessarily, obviously, in the SDA church. Under the pretense of holding a feast to the Lord, they gave themselves up to gluttony and licentious reveling. As Moses and Joshua came down from the mount, remember here Moses had the Ten Commandments and two tabernacles, they heard the shouts and outcries of the excited multitude. By the way, Ellen G. White mentions that Joshua said and thought, I hear the noise as if it were of war, but Moses with a more discerned judgment said, no, that is not a noise of war, it is that of people singing that I hear. They beheld the people shouting and dancing around their idol. It was a scene of heathen riot. A what? An imitation of the idolatrous feasts of Egypt. But how unlike the solemn and reverent worship of God. How often in our own day is the love of pleasure disguised by a form of godliness. A religion that allows us, while observing the rites of worship, to devote themselves to selfish or sensual gratification. And this is as pleasing to the multitudes now as it was in the days of Israel. And for those of us that are in positions of leadership, especially concerning music, we should take heed and try not to follow Aaron's steps. Aaron's yielding spirit and his desire to please had blinded his sight, his eyes, to the enormity of the crime he was sanctioning. His course in giving his influence to sin in Israel cost the life of thousands. You can read this later. It's an inspiring, motivating, moving chapter. You know, when Moses came back down from the mount, he said, all of those who have not knelt before this idol and have not turned their backs against God come to my right. Do you know who those people were? It was the tribe of Levi. And all those who are repentant of what they've done come to my left side. And a lot of people from the different tribes came forward. And to talk about a little bit of justice of God and love of God, there were about 3,000, roughly, the Spirit of Prophecy mentions, that did not repent, considering the mercy God had on them after what they've done. They were rebellious. And God ordered Moses to tell the Levites to take them out. And that's what happened. And one sees this quickly and says, wow, God was just very cruel. But it was love that made God do this. Another story, apostasy at the Jordan. And you can see history repeats itself over and over again in the Old Testament, New Testament, in our modern days. Their minds became familiar with the vile thoughts constantly suggested. This could be just something we could talk about all day long with technology and social media occurring. Balaam, regarded to many as a prophet of God, induced the Israelites to attend the festivities of the king of Moab. Look at what error, what, how much evil can be done if we are not caref careful, especially when being in a position of leadership. People thought Balaam was a prophet of God. Balaam had already departed, and people still considered him a prophet of God, and they followed him. Beguiled with music and dancing. That means just enchanted with music and dancing. And allured, attracted by the beauty of heathen vessels, they cast off their fealty, their loyalty to Jehovah. As they united in mirth and feasting, indulgence in wine beclouded their senses and broke down the barriers of 
self-control. Let's look at the Bible for a moment, just two verses. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 and 12, paraphrase. Now all these things are written for our admonition. What did Colossians 3.16 say? And all was in teaching and admonishing others. This is for our own admonition as well. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. This calls for, calls for our humility before God to ask sincerely, what can we do to better our worship for you? 1 Peter 1, 13-15 says, Girding up the loins of your mind, be sober, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts in time of your ignorance. When you were ignorant, you would do that. But now, as you have learned the truth, be sober. And like he who called you is holy, be yourselves also holy in some manner of living, in all manner of living. It doesn't only come to music. It comes with our lifestyle in general, day by day, moment by moment. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about psychology. There's a term that is really, really interesting. I don't know how many of you have heard of cognitive dissonance. Uh, it was Festinger's theory back in 1957. He, he theorized and wrote this down. And it is that all human beings have a high drive to achieve harmony between our thoughts and our actions. So basically, cognitive dissonance is the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes. So how does this boil into what we're talking about? Um, let me just give you a quick example. The Bible says, uh, do not steal. And one on a certain day might have a justification as to why he's taking something away, like a candy in a kid, for example. And, but that's not right. So once we do something in our behavior that's not right, it clashes, creates dissonance with our belief. And day by day, week after week, if we're not careful in upholding our beliefs, we yield to our attitudes and our actions. Does that make sense? The same with music. And this takes us to the next uh, term, which is beholding. By beholding, we become changed. By the indulgence of impure thoughts, man can so educate his mind that sin which he once loathed, which he once despised, will become pleasant to him. Through fascinating displays and bewildering music, Satan employs to break down the barriers of principle and open the door to sensual indulgence. It was by associating with idolaters, but not only that, we can enter a a narrow and kind of gray area when we associate with others. Some might have really good reasoning to do that in order to bring them to Christ, but the problem, the real problem, is when we join them in their festivities. And that's where the Hebrews were led to transgress God's law and bring his judgments upon the nation. What is this next term? Can you all read that? Entrainment. Entrainment. Have you all heard this word before? Entrainment does not only happen in music, it happens in every type of science. The tendency for two oscillating bodies to lock into phase and vibrate in harmony. So the classical example is that of two pulsating heart muscle cells. When they're brought together, they start beating in synchronization. They start beating together. The person that discovered this, however, was uh, working with clocks, and he discovered that the, the pendulum, I think is what you call it in English, they started matching when the clocks were brought together. 
And how we can bring this to music is, entrainment occurs when the rhythm of music enters the body and the physiological functions begin to match the rhythm. Notice it's not the melody or the harmony, it's the rhythm of the music. Do you see where I'm getting little by little at? Music that goes against the natural rhythms of the body has an exciting, unnatural effect, which is made even more prominent by high levels of volume. So this takes us to the next uh, term. High intensity means basically high volume, very loud. And low frequency means long and, and big sound waves, which takes us to the low notes on an instrument or in the voice. The very low notes, that's low frequency. And the high pitch, that's high frequency because you need more sound waves in a second. Okay, it's basically the vibrations per second. That's the frequency. So long-term exposure to high intensity, low frequency noise creates a number of health problems and psychic disturbances such as anxiety, depression, hostility. Exposure to whole body vibration and sound is particularly horrific. And we see the same effects in changes in behavior and thoughts, and it, especially when it's long-term. So if you go into a concert and they have heavy drum beating, if you're in there for just a few seconds or minutes, you might feel disturbed and walk out, but it's not really terrible. I won't talk about this much because, you, again, you had this music seminar late last year, and Christian Berdahl mentioned a lot of this. There's a lot of science to back this up, by the way, not only the spirit of prophecy. But exposure to whole body vibration and sound is particularly horrific. And for those of you who have been in, in places of worship, I won't even mention rock concerts, but place, some places of worship are an imitation of that. You can feel in your body the beat and the drive, and that can be especially dangerous we'll, when we discover some other attributes of music. High intensity, low frequency is not only dangerous, but addictive. It wants us to crave for more, to do that more. So if you listen to this kind of music during the week, what do you think you're going to feel like when you go to a traditional conservative worship service on Sabbath morning? That's a real problem, especially with our youth. Music and the frontal lobe. By the way, a lot of these texts right now I'm getting out of the book, The Lost Art of Thinking by Dr. Neil Nedley. Some of you may have heard of him or know him. Uh, if not, this book talks a in general about lifestyle and how we can improve the lost art of thinking. I'm just taking some, some um, text from the chapter of brain-boosting music. Music enters the brain through its emotional regions, which include the temporal lobe and the limbic system. Some kinds of music tend to produce a positive frontal lobe response, and this is quite what good and what we want to aim for because in the prefrontal cortex or in the frontal lobe, that's where our will, our moral values, and our reasoning power lies. On the other hand, some music does not evoke frontal lobe response, and if it does, it's very little, while producing a large emotional response with very little logical or moral interpretation. So this is really, really concerning and, and problematic from a musician standpoint of view, and especially with the theological background that we have as Seventh-day Adventists. Rock music and thinking ability. Now, in this book, The Lost Art of Thinking, Dr. Neil Nandley takes a lot of articles and studies from diverse scientists. Researchers Schreckenberg and Bird concluded that the rhythms from rock music caused 
Can you read that? I can't read it here. But I can just say damage, I believe, it is, I'm pretty sure damage to the hippocampus because that's memory and learning area in the brain. And this was found in the laboratory mice. In addition, they linked this to a shrinkage in the frontal lobe. If such results were carried onto humans, hopefully that's not such a terrible effect as they found in mice, but if they were, which is poss a high possibility, what would happen? We would definitely find negative effects on moral values, learning, and reasoning power from music driven by a heavy beat. In addition, since there is a link between frontal lobe impairment and depression, we might also anticipate that that's going to happen if you listen to a lot of rock music. You will feel kind of depressed and not uplifted. By the way, um, I won't bring this in, but we can also add that we could uh, talk about suicide and depression. Hey, music in our churches. So I just want to give some ex practical examples for us. In church, we usually use hymns from the hymnal, and we also include sometimes songs from praise and worship. Praise and worship is, I'm just mentioning praise and worship as um, a sort of genre for, for music in the church, differentiating it from the hymns, from more traditional music, conservative music. So obviously with hymns, we do praise and worship God, but the praise and worship, I just want to make that distinction so as to avoid confusion. The hymns that we have in our hymnal mainly come from the historic Protestantism, Protestantism with a deep, profound message that we might see as we read the lyrics of the hymns, not only sing them. And praise and worship are coming mainly from contemporary bands that we will just mention a few. Unfortunately, what I see, and most of you can see as well, is that this is being turned upside down. The hymns are being disregarded. They're not only being disregarded, they're being despised. Oh, that's boring. Oh, that's too plain. Oh, we need more energy into the service. We just need to feel the presence of God. We need to feel the Holy Spirit within us. So then they use the praise and worship, which is very characteristic of what we'll be talking about, which, which are characteristics of apostasy. So what musical elements make praise and worship attractive? Because obviously it's attractive. Many people like it, especially the youth. I point out four reasons. Excessive use of syncopation, irregular accents, dissonance, and repetition. And some might say, well, repetition, how is that attractive? You know, when you repeat something, it tends to be boring. Well, repetition in this case makes it easy to learn. And also it creates a hypnotic effect along with the others. All of these together play in with a hypnotic effect and a few other things. So I just want to give a few, uh, an example of a song that I, I sang a lot in college, a cappella and with the piano, and many people like this, even many conservative friends, and I really don't see it that evil. I, I don't see it evil, really, except for a few things that I would change if I were the composer, but I'm not. And let me just show you. So I'm going to talk about those four things in the song. First, dissonance. I'm not sure how well you can see that, but if I just were to play the accompaniment of the song, it would sound like this. So notice the right hand has three notes that consistently clash and they don't resolve ever. Resolving in the sense of bringing consonants. So this is adding dissonance. Now I want to play it in a way that sounds more consonant. There's a little dissonance because of bass note. 
and then there's consonants. Now, if I play the melody, okay, I can play the melody clearly, and I can add little harmony, and especially take away a lot of the dissonance. Not only that, let's look at something else. Syncopation. So what is syncopation? Syncopation is when you play or sing a note that's not on a beat and you sustain it throughout the beat. So here you have a lot of syncopation. Open the eyes. Eyes is syncopated because you don't say eyes on the beat. You don't say open the eyes. You do oh, open the eyes. And when you have this a lot, it creates kind of a dance-like motion. You start wanting to move a little bit, move the neck as well. Um, Next one, irregular accents. These are emphasis on beats two and four on a measure of four beats. So typically in a measure of four beats, we, by order, the scientists found this out centuries ago, physicists found this out, discovering the laws of music. And that's just divine because God is a God of order, by the way. So beats one and three are the loudest, one being the most prominent and the third beat being the second loudest. And beats two and four are supposed to be the weakest. So you have one, two, three, four. One, two, three. Kind of a march-like. So if I were to do this in that kind of way. But that's not generally how we play. And the melody is syncopated. I can't do anything about that. Now let's play it in a way where I can really show you the backbeat or the beats two and four. Okay, sorry. That's how it's usually sung. Open the eyes of my, of my heart, Lord. Sorry, I need to get the lyrics right. So when you not only play like that, but you add a bass, a high intensity, low frequency sound to it, constantly giving you that, that rhythm on the backbeat, that adds that hypnotic effect. Does that make a little sense? I wanted to bring a, a song that's very popular and, and look, the lyrics are nice. I would just not repeat it that much main, mainly, but I can't complain. This is moderate compared to what we're hearing today every year as the time goes by, as we reach the close of time, better said. Is there such a thing as better music? I had a music director in a Sunday church. He's just a fantastic musician, and he's like the only friend I have that's non SDA that I just talk about this constantly, and he... I mean, he should be a Santa Adventist, to be honest. Um, he presented this to the church, the topic of there's better music. Why are we degrading our music? Because they wanted to put a blended uh, service into the worship. And he just could not do that and left. So the pastor, uh, I was in that meeting too, the pastor mentioned, oh no, we don't want to get into that. There's no such thing as better music. Uh, we shouldn't offend others that like pr or prefer this style of music. We can't say that's better music. And a lot of people in different denominations cannot agree with that. You look at rock music, they typically sing and play three, four chords repeatedly. You think that's gonna be better than inspiring Bach music that's just so fascinating and intelligently crafted? Please. Okay, so better music typically consists of, many musicians agree, three elements. Melody, harmony, and rhythm that are emphasized in that order. Pastor Ivor Myers, which is, used to be a, a hip-hop dancer in New York City, then converted to the Seventh-day Adventist and now is a pastor, 
Uh, I heard him preach about music too, and he brought something very interesting. I won't talk much about it, but he relates these three elements with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father being the melody, which we should showcase the most, have very clearly. The, um, the Son being the harmony because he unites us with the Father. He connects the different sounds into harmony. And the Spirit, which is the rhythm, the drive, the energy. And um, enough said. You can make your own thoughts out of that. Okay, so first, the melody. What is the melody? It's a storyline. It's what we can sing. So if we sing just one line, that's going to be the melody. If we're able to sing in different voices, that's when we add harmony. Harmony is produced by the chord structure involved, and it should blend and support the different sounds or notes to add beauty. So if I play a consonant, that's, that sounds nice, and it's ordered. If I create dissonance, which is brought by diminished or augmented chords, they will sound. If we constantly do that, it, it can start disturbing some. This is augmented, right? Okay, so for example, an overemphasis of diminished and augmented chords can lead to mental tension and lack of clarity. And if we add intervals, which are the distances between notes, if we add chords that are sevenths, not only that, ninths, elevenths, and thirteenths, and we have that constantly as the harmony progresses, then that creates a lot of lack of clarity and tension. This, I can't go further without mentioning jazz music, um, because many people that love, many musicians that love jazz music, they, they've just gotten into it so much, they admit that when they first heard it, they were confused. If we are confused at the very beginning of listening to something by lack of clarity or just not understanding what's going on, I don't think we should try to get used to that. That's just my point of view, and we could talk more about that later, but let's go on for now. Uh, by the way, jazz music uses elements that classical composers backing from Bach to Mozart have used in their music, but they never overemphasized those aspects. Uh, rhythm. Rhythm provides the energy of music, and in brain-enhancing music, however, it should be more like an undergirding or foundation than a drive. So, meaning the beats in music, what we feel as they move. All right, so a classic example here. You may have seen this image on Google. You can find it. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word, or be thou my vision, Lord of my heart, I think is the lyrics. Compared to one typical praise song, which is everywhere I go, I see you repeated seven, eight times. Do you think this is an exaggerated example? Do you think, think that everywhere I go, I see you? Oh, you're just exaggerating and pushing the limits. We don't ever have this in praise song where you repeat like eight times. Do you think this is an exaggeration? How many of you think it's an exaggeration? Oh, wow, wow, you, you made my day. Okay, so if you just, you don't have to look too far away. Good, Good Father is an example, for example, a highly popular Christian song. The bridge repeats itself three times in many of the groups, creating nine times the same phrase. Nine times, I can't remember the lyrics right now. And when you put the chorus, it's good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. Good, good father, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And you keep repeating that with this backbeat and the bass drums and all of that going on. How can it not be hypnotic? What has happened, really? Okay, so you can find, I'd like for you to participate now. Open your hymnals that you can find in the pews and go over to page 547. And let's just sing the first verse of Be Thou My Vision. 
I will give a brief intro. And let's just sing the first verse. sounded wonderful so and, and that's true so when we I, I'm sure you've m felt moved because these lyrics are very deep wonderful be thou my vision O Lord of my heart and I just want to show a few examples on your right side can you see this really clearly no, no? okay anyway on the right side uh, you have another example of the same song written differently. This is typically called lead sheet, and you just have the melody written in and simple chords, so less chords, typically one per measure most of the time. Not in this song, forever at least. So this is a simplification, and I'm okay with this in the sense that sometimes we don't have much time to rehearse. Sometimes it's just better for the congregation to have the melody and not get lost with all the notes. Um, however, I find this... Uh, problematic because we're always educating the congregation, the people, to go lower with lower standards. And nowadays, with the I, I've played in some contemporary services because of the job, and luckily it was only a few times. And this is what we find. This is how they always play: just the lyrics and chords. You've probably found this too. And they play by ear. They listen to the bands and they try to imitate. And this is the same song, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My God. I could compare the amount of chord reduction as well in this new way of doing it. Uh, a music director, the one I, I, talked to, I mentioned without his name, he found that combining services with the traditional conservative and the contemporary was downgrading the quality of his choir because the praise band, the people that played the guitar, they could not play so many chords in quick quick moments, like in Be Thou My Vision, you have sometimes a chord change every beat, and they could not do that. So the voicing of the choir, bass, tenors, altos, and sopranos, they had to change it, and everyone ended up singing the melody. So the standards that are going lower and lower is just, just surprising. Um, I see the same thing happening, by the way, in a parallel with the theology of the churches that, that push this contemporary music. The theology is ever more, more simple, more simple, more simple. Oh, why study about the sanctuary? Why study about revelation? Oh, it's just too complicated. People, people, people get in a battle. Let's just say, you know, Christ loves you where you are. Just accept him and be on your way. Isn't that incredible? And I'm not saying they're not sincere people. They are. I just think they're not having the opportunity. They don't look for the opportunity. Like, the spirit of prophecy, they neglect the opportunity of learning what is the truth. Worship scams. Um, a few years ago, I almost fell into a scam losing money, but I didn't. And beginning of this year, however, I did when I thought I would never do that again. 
and I sometimes have a hard time forgiving myself. But as I researched, I found in psychology they explain the reason why worship scams occur. Well, not worship scams, why scams occur. And it is because there's a hijack of your amygdala. So you're driven by the emotion, the fear that seems real. For example, these IRS frauds and all of that. They seem real when you're caught uh, off guard and you're driven by the emotion. It's an amygdala hijack because it's not allowing you to think, process with more time, with more reasoning powers, your prefrontal cortex, frontal lobe. So I find this really, really uh, similar to worship. The main characteristics of apostasy are rebellion and sensual indulgence. We find this in the Bible, we find this in the spirit of prophecy, and we're gonna look at some examples quickly. I know time flies. Uh, but why do I say it's a worship scam? Because people are sincere and they really believe that they're worshiping God. They're emotionally driven though and not using their reasoning capacity that God has given them. So some will luckily and thankfully be aware of this before the time of the end. God keeps giving us chances to recognize what is truth. But some, in my case, when I lost some money, might not. And that is really appalling. So, we might think of little boys or babies as very innocent, but they have rebellion too. I have a three-year-old and sometimes I tell him, you know, Jesus loves you more than daddy. He's like, no. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Um, but anyway, characteristics of apostasy, rebellion. We can't find another genre that fits better into this category than rock and roll. It was born out of rebellion towards authority. And we have different types. So the basic elements that are intensified in rock are volume, repetition, and the rhythm. So the backbeat especially, beats two and four. We already talked about that. Uh, Amanecer is, believe it or not, a Seventh-day Adventist quartet, men's quartet in Argentina. Their first CD when I was studying in college that they recorded was very conservative, traditional, very uplifting music. And little by little, they went to the more contemporary. And I won't even put those links, but if you go one of those links, they're in the Times Square in New York City, and they're just letting it rip as much as they can. It's just unbelievable. Uh, the second uh, song right there, Ya Nada Me Falta, that's There's Nothing Left For Me. Like, I I've got everything, come on. Then they want to say that they're more humble because they're not hypocritical and they're not trying to push the conservative ideals into others. Well, how about them wanting to rewrite 3,000 years of history that are recorded in the Bible and push that ideals to us? I find that more insulting and offensive. Sensual indulgence. So pop music fits into this category uh, amazingly because if you just look quickly, uh, a song from Hillsong, the youth revival. The lyrics, I just want to be where you are. Your love, like nothing I've seen. My wildest of dreams don't come close. Life never knew better than living like this. I cannot resist you, Lord. What kind of difference then? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. And if you were to listen to this link, they sing with sensual voices. It's like they're singing to... to well, Let's not go there. All right, next up, ballad. A ballad is a narrative set to music, and it is often used for any love song, particularly the sentimental ballad of pop or rock. Catch this. It's also known as slow rock music in a romantic setting. You see the combination, the fusion between rebellion and sensual indulgence? 
The ballad consists of a melody that is sung and accompanied by a dreamy instrumentation, simple and somewhat tedious. Tedious means unvarying, boring, dull, monotonous. Uh, I would add, tending to add a hypnotic effect. Christian pop rock ballads. So we see this mixture of rebellion and sensuality. But wait, wait, there's a magic ingredient. Christ. Don't, don't judge me. I'm worshiping God. Okay, so these are typical... Uh, images that we see in those concerts, an imitation of the idolatrous feasts of Egypt, or uh, sorry, an imitation of, of rock concerts in today's world. So uh, that's Hillsong. You can see a mix of rebellion, but at the same time, they're feeling the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is here is a title. God is here, and if you hear that link, it's just strong rhythmic drag, like if you want to work out intensely. Um, however, when we come to church, we shouldn't feel we want to work out physically intensely. We want to work our minds. Amen? Uh, and you can see this comparison parallel with the theology. They're based on experience, a theology of empowerment. I can do it. Feelings over intellect. Typical fascinating displays from rock concerts. Ellen White mentioned this. Come to the altar. Now, this is a more moderate group. At least it was three years ago. And I have many SDA friends that love this this group. It's called Elevation Worship. Have you all heard of it? It's based on North Carolina and Charlotte, North Carolina, Elevation Worship Church, and they're creating a lot of music. And I have a music director at a Methodist church I work at, no pun intended, <laughs> but he's a fascinating, a great person, great musician. I respect him highly. He's very young, intelligent, very nice, and we just have this great honesty going back and forth. And he sends out uh, an email every Wednesday to the choir to educate them in different uh, fields of music. So he started with Baroque, Renaissance, classical, all the way to now modern. And last Wednesday, last Wednesday, he mentioned um, elevation worship. And, well, uh, let's just skip this because of time. Here as in heaven, that's the album. So again, here as in heaven, we do the music as in heaven. So if we judge that their music is not good, then we're judging heaven's music. They won awards for uh, Dove Awards, which is Gospel Music Association in Nashville, Tennessee. Look at the images, and it's parallel to the Billboard Music Awards, which is always held in Las Vegas with all kinds of music. And just look at the comparison of what churches want to do in imitating the infrastructure. Not only that, but also the performances. So going back to my friend, the music director that I work for, <laughs> he can fire me if he wants, uh, but I emailed him because I could not live with myself if I did not reply. The reason I could not live with myself if I did not reply to his email was because he said, let me present to you this group, Elevation Worship. What they do, I love so much. I consider them so relevant, creative, and reverent. And um, he later on said, I really believe they are setting the standards for contemporary new worship music, both lyrically and musically. Now, I bring this up, and I want to just spend a minute or two with this because there are many youth that love this music. And at first, I couldn't find much of a harm to it, especially in the previous album, because it is moderate. I could just see the imitation, but it wasn't like hard rock or anything out there. But... I answered uh, his email Thursday, and I said, you know, I, I highly respect all you do, but I cannot s remain silent for two reasons. One, the choir. I know there are many members there that would strongly disagree with you. Some wanted to leave the church when the church 
went into a blended worship. I told him to hang on because the two services would be separated again. And two, because of my conscience. As a musician, from a musical point of view, having studied psychology and with the theological background, we cannot remain silent. I think they are really sincere, but I can't agree with them with how they use the theology, the music, and their methodology. Look at what they released less than a month ago, April 12th, last year, Paradoxology. So this is the link that the music director shared. You know, by the way, he replied saying, oh, thank you for your email. I really appreciate you. I wish everyone were like you, holding strong to your beliefs. I want to gather and, and have lunch together with you and send me any links that you have regarding music. Amen? So just look at, at the, the context, right? You have just how they dress, really, I wouldn't call that reverent. They have the smog, the lighting. It feels like it's in a basement, which it's actually an old building, uh, kind of torn away. And this is what you find in these, in these typical contemporary Christian worship settings. And I strongly believe they are sincere, or they want to be sincere, because they know that Jesus went down to the sinner to save them from wherever they were. But like Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, Go and sin no more. So why are we presenting music in the lowest way possible? Just because we can reach multitudes that are on the streets to youth that listen to this kind of music during the week? I think we should elevate music as much as you can, not downgrade it. I will even go into the term paradoxology, but you can search that also the definition, which means indulgence in the use of paradoxes, and a paradox is two statements that are ever contradicting each other. So what kind of message are we giving? It's definitely not a clear one. And last but not least, um, the youth are so important, and the kids. In, in so many uh, churches out there, contemporary, they have this song for kids that just kids just dance, clap. It's called Hosanna Rock. Have you all heard of this? It's very popular. It came out 2012. And the lyrics are like this, Hosanna, ho, ho, Hosanna, Hosanna, ho, ho, Hosanna. You, pre you repeat it again. Then everybody praise the Lord, everybody praise the Lord. Then, so clap your hands and wave your arms, play the drums, then rock the guitar. You repeat that again. And then you repeat the whole song again. And this goes on for like five minutes. I remember being a kid, and I still remember some of the songs I learned when I was in primary school. Do you all remember some of the songs you learned when you were really small kids? So if kids listen and sing to this music, what are they want, going to want to hear and sing when they go to church when they're older? This is very problematic. Just comparing to the famous Jesus Loves Me hymn, which by the way in our hymnals we have three verses, this is just one. Jesus loved me, this I know, and for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak but he's strong. Just look at the message, the lyrics are so different. Yes, Jesus loves me, you repeat that two more times, and the Bible tells me so. It's taking us to Jesus. He is strong because we are weak. We can rely on him. How do we know this? Because the Bible tells me so. Some argue, oh, in the hymns you have so many repetitions. Look at this, for example. Yes, Jesus loved me. You have that three times. How is that not hypnotic? Well, in music you have structure, and you have a question, musical question, and a musical answer. So Jesus loves me, the first one is a musical answer. Yes, Jesus loves me, musical answer. Uh, sorry, question, musical answer. Then you come back with another musical question. Yes, Jesus loved me. And the musical answer is, the Bible tells me so. We don't have that in these contemporary music because it's monotonous melody that all seems like it's floating. All right, last year, uh, end of May, I went to Tanzania, just a self-funded mission trip, which by the grace of God, a Presbyterian church I work at, 
uh, collected the funds for me to go there. Amazingly, praise God for all the people he has in different denominations as well. And they, by the way, uh, I got there the first Saturday I was in the, in the school. It's a Seventh-day Adventist church with 95% Muslims, by the way, northeast of Tanzania. Tanga is the city. This, this could be for a whole other topic, but um, they're so used to uh, being embedded, being uh, dwelling richly in the word of God that they asked me that same Sabbath, we were sitting in a youth service and the pastor uh, whispered on my side, uh, can you give the 15-minute uh, uh, sermon uh, right now after this mu- song? I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah. So I talked a little bit about the controversy and some thoughts I had been thinking about those days, but wow. And then they asked me to preach the next Sabbath, so I preached about music, of course, with no PowerPoint presentation. Resources are more limited. And the last day I was there, these kids just came up, and I had just that one second to take this picture because they all hugged, and it was amazing. Uh, Sometimes when we're humble and we lack resources, we can worship God better. The pastor told me, the leadership in this country, we're trying to eliminate all percussion in the church because that just drives us with the rhythm and is we're recognizing it's not allowing us to use our reasoning powers and worship God in a reverent way. The kids, the kids, how do you teach them? They all have different ensembles, brass ensembles with the limited resources they have. I love that in this church you have violinists and they're very young. By the way, Majesty last week was great. Thanks for playing. And the pianist Gideon, excellent with the transitions. Gideon, right? So it's wonderful that when we find churches, we should be uplifting and we should acknowledge that we're not only a few that are trying to worship God correctly. Finishing, I know um, Doug mentioned before the sermon, some of you were already hungry, so I can't imagine now. Judas 1, 3 to 25, just four verses. Dear friends, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. Oh, music is for everyone. There's different tastes. We shouldn't argue about this anymore. They do not understand. They want to slander that. These are the people who divide you. It's not us that are trying to conserve the ideals of God. The people that don't want that are the ones who are dividing us, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Last story, Elijah. You can read Elijah uh, when he presented himself to King Ahab, when Elijah on Mount Carmel So many wonderful, uh, insightful stories of these that you can be just so inspired. Proverbs 12.10 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. I hope each of us can continue learning and educating ourselves. There's so many things in music I need to keep learning, especially when it comes to sacred music as well. In Elijah's time, the Spirit of Prophecy says, Today there is need of the voice of stern rebuke, like that of Elijah when he spoke to King Ahab. For grievous sins have separated the people from God. The smooth sermons so often preached make no lasting impression. The trumpet does not give a certain sound. Paradoxology. Men are not cut to the heart by the plain sharp truths of God's word. It is not from love for their neighbor, yet they claim, oh, we should all love each other. It is not from love for thy neighbor that they smooth down the message entrusted to them but because they are self-indulgent and ease-loving. True love, can you all say it with me? True love 
seeks first the honor of God and the salvation of souls. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. You know, Elijah felt very depressed after a 40-day journey to the cave, to a mountain, and he felt depressed. He thought he was the only prophet of God and the whole Israel would perish. But God spoke to him saying, I have reserved 7,000. South Bay Church, there are many other churches that are trying to uphold the ideals and sacred music and worship in God's house. We should feel encouraged by that. God calls for men like Elijah, Nathan, and John the Baptist, men who will bear his message with faithfulness, regarding of the consequences. It is to such as these that he will speak the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. May we all humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will surely lift us up. Amen. God bless you all.